Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. A prophylactic Happy New Year from Bauer and Rose. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose Podcast. We're broadcast every week on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Channel 125, The Patriot. Our podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Gary, um, a a late but genuine uh, Merry Christmas to you. How was your Christmas? How's the family? Uh, it, it was a great Christmas. We were uh, we were down in Atlanta. Uh, every everybody was fine. Um, we're we're having a a late Christmas here with the rest of the family. Um, uh, in a couple of days. And, um, no, it was great. Uh, now, uh, and I hope, uh, you, you had a great Hanukkah and, um, uh, I, I have to tell you that Tom, there's something that just drove me insane over Hanukkah and Christmas, which is there was a concerted intentional effort, uh, to disrupt Christmas events and Hanukkah events. And it was done by a coalition of, um, of peace loving Palestinians, peace loving, you know, peace loving civilians. Yeah. And, um, and their leftist allies, they were very open about it. You know, no, you know, no Christmas as long as Palestine is occupied. And, you know, we know all the things that were going on with Hanukkah and the menorah and so forth. And there was almost, no overall societal reaction to this. There was nothing said at the White House. Now, imagine if uh, during uh, the Muslim high holidays, uh, radical Christian and Jews announced that until we were satisfied about something else, um, there would be no celebration of this holiday. We would disrupt those... Oh, my goodness. The pre- Biden would be on national television saying, not in America. Everybody gets to celebrate their faith in peace, no matter what other issues are going on. Nothing. Not a Zero. Zilch. It's outrageous. And Christians and Jews, I think more Christians, perhaps, than Jews, continue to play the role of the frog in the water that's slowly being turned up and we have so devalued ourselves. I'm speaking of Christians, so devalued ourselves. We are so, um, such sad sacks, such, we don't want to rock the boat. Jesus loves everybody. Uh, don't get into that culture war stuff, Gary. That is not who Christ is. We don't say, uh, you know what thing about it. It, it just it drives me nuts. And, and by the way, Tom, I could take the rest of the show and as a Christian make the argument that the birth of Christ was the beginning of the culture war. The birth of Christ was the entry into the world of for Christians, the Messiah who was taking on everything the world believed up until that time. A lot of the world still believed it was okay to sacrifice children. A lot of the world believed the handicap should be left by the side of the road. A lot of the world believed might is right. Uh, and Christ came into the world in spite of the efforts of Satan to stop him. And ever since, there's been a war about whether we're going to follow the path of the God of Abraham, who said in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth or whether we're going to follow the path of these radical secularists uh, who mock all of this, who think the Bible's a myth, 
who think every man should live for himself, that the idea that we're made in the image of God is absurd because there is no God. They challenge his creation. They challenge everything about it. So the very birth of God, the birth of Christ, the son of God, uh, was, you know, Christ putting his cards down and saying, okay, let's go. And you got a bunch of Christians running around going, oh, Christmas is all warm and fuzzy and it's sitting by the fireplace. And don't bother me about any of that stuff that has to do with what they're teaching our kids in school and what this means and what that means. It just drives me insane. Every uh, Christmas Eve <clears throat> since 1949, the Wall Street Journal has published and republished one op-ed by the late Vermont or Royster, who was the op-ed editor at the Wall Street Journal. It's about the only good op-ed you get every year. It's called In Hoc Anno Domini. And uh, it's repeated every year because on Christmas Eve because of the importance of the message. I'll just quote. But everywhere there was something else. There was oppression for those who were not the friends of Tiberius Caesar. There was the law-gatherer to take the grain from the fields and the flax from the spindle to feed the legions or to fill the hungry treasure from which divine Caesar gave largesse to the people. There was the impressor to find recruits for the circuses. There were executioners to quiet those whom the emperor prescribed. What was a man for but to serve Caesar? Now, I have always been terrified, is the proper word, to uh, engage in any kind of uh, 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 disputatious discourse regarding the Pope uh, for fear of you know, involving myself Irish style in a fight that isn't my own. But I'll say this, and you're not a Catholic, obviously I'm not either. I was uh, stunned by uh, Pope Francis's statement in his, in his Christmas homily, uh, crying uh, for the tears of all the uh, baby Jesuses that were dying in Palestine. Uh, Boy, d- d- yeah, that was worthy of AOC. I mean, this, you know, this was a, it was basically an argument that everybody except the people who protect him have to give up their weapons. And then it was this conflation. Is the Pope not aware that the children of Gaza are Muslim? They're not Christian? I, I, I mean, I, it, was, it was almost a, um, almost a blood libel. I, I was stunned by it. It it was very close to a blood libel, Tom. And as an evangelical, I'm hesitant to bring up the Pope because, uh, you know, the uh, Protestants are the result of a of a little fissure uh, in the Catholic Church. I I, Um, I read something about that somewhere. Yeah. um, But I can tell you there there are a lot of Catholics that I know who um, take the Bible seriously and and. and in, in, in their own way could be called uh, evangelical Catholics. And um, uh, they, they are very upset the road that the Pope is going down. And, and by the way, Tom, you, know, you could even see the, uh, the influence of intersectionality at the same time that he's basically repeating uh, radical Islamic propaganda and his critique of what's happening in the Middle East, he's um, opening the door to the church blessing same-sex marriages. So, you, you know, it reminds me of the times when some of the mainstream Protestant denominations have issued anti-Israel statements at their conventions, and some of my friends that live in Israel will uh call me horrified saying, Gary, I thought the Christians were with us. Why did why the Methodists just do that? And I say, calm down. You need to understand that the Methodists are very confused about the definition of marriage. <laughs> and anytime a church gets confused about that, I'll guarantee you they're going to be wrong on Israel. What, what I don't understand, and obviously the Vatican has to be aware of this, jihadists are literally obsessed with the idea of invading Rome, conquering Rome, taking over the Vatican to fulfill some of their these genocidal uh, death cult prophecies. The, the, the litany of uh, Muslim, quote-unquote, thinkers and leaders who are obsessed with the notion of, of, of uh, 
conquering the Vatican. God willing, you know, Rome will be overrun and uh, the flag of the caliphate will fly over St. Peter's. When the Pope encourages these millions of Muslim migrants to swarm into Europe, um, that is almost a way of, of, of fulfilling these, these prophecies. And the only thing that stands today, Gary, between the Vatican and this invasion are these uh, brave men who hold, as, as, as uh, Dan Greenfield pointed out, um, these quote-unquote instruments of death. That was the phrase that the Pope used repeatedly in his Christian homily. And the irony, of course, is that he's alive because the, the, there are people um, surrounding him, protecting him, that hold, quote-unquote, these instruments of death. It was, uh, uh, it was very depressing. It really was. I was. There has never been a Muslim army in the history of the world that fell on their swords defending the Vatican. <laughs> That's always been armies of... Europeans of one form or another, you know, when there's a president that may actually be working for our enemies uh, because of um, uh, of a famous book and movie, they're called a, a Manchurian candidate or a Manchurian president, a rogue president that actually has the interests of somebody at heart other than his own country. I don't know what the theological equivalent would be for a pope that, you know, urges Muslims essentially uh, to swamp uh, Europe with their numbers. There is nothing in the Bible, Tom, nothing in the teachings of Jesus Christ that would justify publicly calling for massive numbers of people to violate the legal borders of nation states in order to get what they want. There is nothing in the scripture that justifies that. You can't justify it with chanting the word love over and over again, unless you believe that the God we worship only loves marauders and lawbreakers, but doesn't love citizens it begs, of the various nations, taxpayers of the various nations. It, it begs the question, of course, I'm, I'm uh, broadcasting from Israel, but obviously following the news back home in this lawfare campaign against Trump, the uh, Democrat and establishment media's campaign strategy. Um, and they've been very open about their strategy, making Trump so beyond the pale that anything that is done to him would be justified. And it kind of begs the question, when are people going to start caring about the actual policies that are destroying the country as we are about how Donald Trump criticizes those policies. You know, it's <laughs> it, it, the, the world comes down on him for uh, using a phrase to criticize policies uh, that are, in fact, destroying the country, changing the nature of the country without the approval of voters in violation of the Constitution, violation of the Constitution, which strictly uh, prescribes that the federal government is responsible for our borders you know, state Supreme Court judges don't get to simply declare there was a federal insurrection. Um, the insurrection clause, and I'm all over the map here, I get that, was, was meant to bar Confederates from holding federal office after the Civil War. We didn't need an explanation, a dictionary definition of what an insurrection was in 1868. Like today, we need a definition of what a woman is. It was self-explanatory because there just was in a civil war and an insurrection and federal authorities get to declare an insurrection. Neither Trump nor Biden has done that. So, I mean, I'm all over the map. Well, but- and it would be the most it would be the most bizarre insurrection in the history of the world. You know, the insurrectionists were unarmed. Uh, the, I mean, what just, I mean, just logic, Tom, what tell you know, we should be asking these people. Tell me what happens. So let's say that instead of 2,500 or 3,000 or 3,500 people that went inside the Capitol, let's say it was 100,000. First of all, it'd be very crowded in there. So what happens next? How have they uh, taken over the American government? They're, they're sitting in the legislative body of the United States. I mean, are, are, are we saying that we wouldn't have the ability to get them out of there? I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. Even and as, and as Biden said, if he he has said said this a couple of times, if 
you know, he said, hey, these people that think they're going to fight the government someday, you know, well, they better have F-16s. So Biden probably, if he had to, would have bombed the Capitol, you know, as the, uh, the you know, as he claimed the winning candidate. So I, the whole thing is absurd. But, you know, Tom, one more point on this. I think we have fallen again for the wrong language. We keep making it Trump specific by saying that they kicked Trump off the ballot in Colorado. It's more serious than yeah, that. It is. You're right. For the last 10 years, uh, Tom, a number of people, including General Flynn, and uh, I've been at a number of closed door events where, um, you know, somebody from the audience will ask a speaker, so what's your best guess on what's going to happen in the election in 2016 or the election in 2020? And I'm not going to name all the people, but I've heard a number of speakers say, well, your question assumes there will be an election right. in 2016 or 2020. And the audience will go, <gasps> and then the speaker will go, no, I'm serious. I, I am not at all certain that the left will allow us to have an actual election in 2016, 2020. What, what the Colorado Supreme Court did was cancel the 2024 presidential election in the state of Colorado. The one person running for president that could defeat the incumbent is not being allowed to run for president in Colorado. Even if the Supreme Court. That is what just happened. Even if the Supreme Court overrules. No, I was just going to. Even if the Supreme Court overrules this Colorado decision, which is based in nothing, it isn't sufficient because people were protesting a flawed election. On January 6th, radical changes in the 2020 election to hundreds of election laws, tens of millions of unsupervised ballots, the deep state actually paying people to claim that Hunter Biden's laptop was a Russian misinformation campaign when they knew damn well it wasn't. This from the CIA, all kinds of, of, of uh, censorship, uh, corporate media standing on the scales. They were upset. These people were upset by a flawed election and they behaved badly. But it was not an insurrection. And all this rhetoric, which says that if you on the left, you get to murder, you get to burn down cities, you get to lay siege to the White House, the Senate, you get to burn a federal courthouse for 90 days in a row or whatever the heck it was in, in Portland, Oregon. For all of this, not only are you not going to be punished, you're going to be praised. You're going to be given tens of billions of dollars in corporate money. But if you protest an election that that uh, they like, we're going to ruin your life and we're going to ruin the lives of anyone that's associated with you. This just is not a tenable situation in a democratic republic. And it shows that this irresponsible rhetoric from the left, Gary, has driven the country to a point of real crisis. And now I guess I'm pointing a finger at Republicans. There were people who knew better, who stayed quiet when they shouldn't have. Even Trump hasn't been charged with insurrection. The entire federal bureaucracy, the law enforcement establishment is turning over every rock in this desperate attempt to charge him with an insurrection. Jack Smith wakes up every morning. His entire purpose in life is to put Donald Trump in prison. And if if even he can't find grounds to charge him with insurrection, then there's obviously no case to argue Trump had anything to do with it with an unarmed, armed, non-insurrection insurrection. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you know, Tom, the only countries in the world where you're not allowed to protest uh, the results of an election are, by definition, the authoritarian right. countries of the world. That's the only place that will go, you know, call out the riot, please. They can't question the election. I, I mean, it's it's uh, and, you know, and Tom, the, the other thing about this, it just drives me nuts. I'm old enough to remember and you're may be close to old enough to re- to remember this. Everybody knew when I was growing up that the election results coming out of Chicago, including presidential elections, the election results coming out of parts of Texas, the election results in my home state of Kentucky were suspect in the Democrat parts of those jurisdictions, as well as many other Democrat-run cities. Everybody knew that. 
I mean, I remember growing up in Kentucky where there were Democrat counties in, in which more people were voting than there were alive of voting age in those counties. I, we, we had a, a, in one of the races there, uh, we tried to get college kids to volunteer to be poll watchers in these Democrat counties because nobody – there was no Republican in those counties that would be you know, willing to do it. And we we had those poll watchers periodically leave the polling place and go to a, um, a pay phone and call into headquarters to assure us they were OK. Well, one of them didn't call in. So it ends up to make the a long story short, Tom, he challenged the guy who was voting for the third time. <laughs> and the guy pulled out a knife and stabbed him. And they took the kid's body and dragged him over and laid him down in the corner and went on with the voting. Look, so and, don't uh, tell me there hasn't been cheating in American elections. Now, cheating is always dangerous in a, in a constitutional republic. But, you know, if you were a Republican senator elected from Kentucky or a Democrat senator elected from Kentucky, there really wasn't that much difference between you when it came to all the things that mattered. Every election was not an election that was going to decide the fate of America. That's what our elections are now. The differences now are fundamental. They're existential differences about the nature of liberty. What is a human being? What is the proper role of America in the world? Things that are not good. Well, we'll get them in the next election. No, no. These are things you can't correct if we make mistakes. So we ought to be super careful now that our elections are fair. And if the Democrats really thought the elections were fair or that, of course, everybody wants fair elections, then they wouldn't be trying so hard to stop common sense reforms like, hey, when you show up to vote, just bring a form of ID. I mean, that would go so far to show that the elections were fair, but they will do everything they can to stop those kinds of reforms. Any student of history knows that every authoritarian movement that has taken over a democracy, assumed control of a former democracy, has used the very ploy of accusing opponents of authoritarianism, totalitarianism, to win power. That goes back to Napoleon, Hitler, Mussolini, uh, Erdogan in Turkey today. We had, look, um, everybody on the left is now demanding that Trump be universally condemned as an authoritarian. This despite the fact that Donald Trump was president for four years, when unfortunately he was the, he was the, the, the polar opposite of an authoritarian. He had no control, Gary. Oh, we had no control of our own bureaucracy. We didn't use, he didn't use the DOJ to go after his opponents. He had no control over, over any of that. He didn't sick the DOJ on Hillary Clinton, who went out of her way to create a secret, illegal system to traffic in classified information. He certainly could have done that. He could have sick the DOJ on her, but he didn't. In fact, he actually said, you shouldn't go after your political opponents this way. You shouldn't use the government to punish your political opponents. If anything, it was the DOJ itself that ran a four-year insurrection against Donald Trump from uh, Robert Mueller on down. But if he's elected again, now, Gary, he's going to be an authoritarian because this time he might actually put people in office who want to follow his agenda. Right now, we already have an authoritarian president. This, oh, my God. We are, the, 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 On this steroids. Is, uh, the Supreme Court ruled his student loan uh, forgiveness. I hate the term forgiveness because uh, somebody has to pay, and that's you and me. His student loan bailout. Right, that it was unconstitutional. Not only did Biden give the court the finger— uh, he ignored the ruling with contempt and says, I'm going to keep doing exactly what I want to do. On the very first day in office, he opened our border. He invited millions of people in. He opened new relations with Iran. He released tens of billions of dollars to the Iranian regime. The guy hates Elon Musk, so he sicks every federal agency possible on the guy to go after him. He's personally requested on the record, on camera, that the DOJ go after his 
chief political opponent, Donald Trump, we're facing an authoritarian president right now. He uses executive power, Gary, in ways Trump would never dream of. Well, and he's authoritarian, Tom, uh, the kind of authoritarianism that the most powerful places in America are willing to support. The business community can live with this kind of authoritarianism. There's obviously elements of our own military that are just fine with it. Uh, the, the universities, of course, we, we know where their heads are. They would love the kind of authoritarianism that would uh, that they practice that, you know, on their campuses, the, all their radical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, unlike, you know, normal conservatism, which they can't stand, they'll do anything to stop. They're perfectly happy with Donald Trump, with uh, Joe Biden and uh, and the crowd uh, pushing all this stuff. I, I saw an officer the other day, Tom, a, a woman uh, speaking somewhere. It almost made me throw up. She um, she was saying that, um, you know, one of her jobs is is to pick the best people in um, in, in certain jobs to, you know, for their promotions and so forth. And uh, because of these states that were passing laws that were anti uh, LGBTQ, uh, she was having to weigh that before she gave somebody a promotion that would mean they would be assigned uh, a term of time in one of those states. She couldn't put them in risk like that. So she would have to pass over them to find somebody perhaps less qualified to fill that job. So what are these laws that would put a serviceman in one of these states? Well, that he might not be able to change his gender. The laws like that, that children in the second grade aren't going to learn about sodomy. This is what she was complaining about. Speaking for the United States military, and we're wondering why recruiting is down. What's 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 really alarming is to me anyway, is the lack of people. And now I'm I'm talking about our fellow conservatives, Republicans um, that are willing to push back. Um, Instead, we cower. We had this Nikki Haley episode, uh, which occurred, uh, I guess it was on Wednesday that I can't begin to explain where she uh, exposed herself again as an empty suit or an empty pantsuit uh, in refusing to acknowledge the role that slavery had in the Civil War. I, 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 look, Molly Hemingway calls what's going on right now, she calls it, and it's, it's tough, she calls it assassination prep. Now, the White House a couple of weeks ago... A what? Assassination prep. The White House... Oh, no, absolutely. The White House a couple of weeks back sent out this email to... It's media contacts and DNC operatives demanding that uh, they start to ask the American people what life is going to look like for them if Donald Trump is allowed, quote unquote, allowed back into the White House as though permission is required to win an election. Not even a week after that email, story after story started to appear comparing Trump to Hitler. This is nothing less than, I mean, she nails it. She calls it assassination prep. What's the question we always ask? kids about Hitler, if you had the chance in 1929 to assassinate Hitler, would you do it? Look, and obviously the answer is yes. So when you call people Hitler, you're sending a message to people that might be willing to take that step. Maybe it's keeping him off the ballot. Maybe it's killing him. But we have to do our part, of course, to prevent this man from ever returning to the White House. But these aren't fringe figures saying it, Gary. These are prominent people in, in hugely important institutions. The New York Times, the Washington Post, the White House, the DNC. You know, the New York Times, which is the bugaboo of mine, fires uh, an editor for an anti-BLM editorial, but has no problem so running... White's- Right. No problem running a Hamas op-ed. The New York Times doesn't work with these people despite the fact that they're evil. They work with them because they're evil. And remember the James Bennett, the former opinion page editor, James Bennett, um, recently uh, reemerged with this 16,000 word takedown of the New York Times and The Economist. This was the op-ed editor who had the temerity 
the temerity, mind you, to publish an op-ed by a sitting United States Senator, Tom Cotton, um, urging for a crackdown on these BLM riots. Uh, So the Times declared that the BLM riots were out of bounds, but Hamas op-eds are another matter. They published three of them, three from Hamas figures in the last eight weeks or whatever it is. It's just these institutions have gone mad. They're still terribly powerful and as a result, incredibly dangerous. Yeah, Tom. And and look, as we've seen over and over again, it is, you know, it's Trump's name that keeps getting mentioned. He's going to be Hitler and so forth. But, you know, God forbid if something happened to Donald Trump today, uh, if God called him home or or whatever, uh, their hatred for the people that voted for him would would be apparent exactly. I mean, for re- anybody to see. Remember when and they anybody thought- in the Republican Party that seeks those votes will be said, oh, well, she's a Trump wannabe. Remember, you know, remember back, a danger to the Republic. Remember back when some people thought I was one of them, that DeSantis might have a might have a shot and be a strong candidate. Well, DeSantis was worse than. Yeah, Hitler. I thought so, too. DeSantis was worse than worse than Hitler. They used the same rhetoric during that 25 minute period when DeSantis was thought to be a far more formidable challenger to Donald Trump. They used the same tactic against him. All of a sudden now, Clarence Thomas is a MAGA figure. I mean, where does this end? Clarence Thomas has been on the Supreme Court for 32 years. Well, one of the side benefits, Tom, of um, being old of for the Democrats. Oh, no. One of these side benefits for the Democrats of these things like Colorado and what's been done there and some of these other things uh, that are are going to the Supreme Court is that it's they see it as a win win. If for some, you know, shocking reason, Roberts or whatever sides with the Democrats and they and they win one of these cases. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they've got a huge victory. But uh, if the Supreme Court rules repeatedly in a way that defends Trump because what's being done to him is unconstitutional, they have delegitimized the Supreme Court. And it will set the stage for what they intend to do if they can hang on to power, which is either impeach court members, expand the court in size, whatever it is. It is absolutely clear they intend to bring down this branch of government until it's back under its control again. Then it will be considered the highest among equals of the branches of government. You know, when when Biden got his people to start calling Trump worse than Hitler, the example he used was uh, Trump's use of the word vermin to describe our enemies. He used the word vermin to describe uh, BLM rioters, uh, Hamas terrorists. Um, and I don't know whether you saw this, but Matt Taibbi, the, the journalist, the great journalist on Substack, he did this video montage that he calls Vermingate. Um, he looked at all the things the media said while Trump was in office, and the most common analogy that he found the White House using to describe the Trump administration was as rats who've infested the White House. So we get to call you. Which is what the Hitler's Germany did. That's exactly right. <laughs> About we, Jews. <laughs> we get to use, we get to call you whatever the heck we want, but if you call us whatever you want, we get to say you're worse than Hitler. Now, uh, Trump is accused of reciting passages from Mein Kampf, according to these people. It's insanity. And, the, and it's you keep wondering, you keep thinking, you keep hoping that these people have lost all credibility. But I don't think they have. I mean, they, they're, they're still extremely powerful. And I wouldn't put anything past them vis-a-vis this, this upcoming election. Nothing. No, I look, uh, I, I think we've talked about this before. I've heard Tucker Carlson a number of times, including at a at a, a speech recently where, you know, it wasn't a big audience. And, uh, and you know, he keeps using this theme over and over and over again, which is, uh, folks, um, the next 11, 12 months are going to rock. It's going to rock our world. You, how, why do I say that, he says? Well, look at what's happened the last 12 months. You think that's going to stop going into this, incredibly important presidential election, you, you're going to be shaken to your very soul. So I don't know. He says, I don't I don't know how it's going to come out. I don't know what the headlines are going to be. What I do know is it's not going to be a normal election. 
we're not going to see normal events. We're going to see overwhelmingly unusual, disturbing events domestically and probably internationally. And he was saying this before the disturbingly event that took place in Israel on October 7th. And, uh, you know, he's been ending this part of his speeches by saying, you you know, uh, I'm not a prepper, but, you know, maybe I should be thinking about that. But he said, I will tell you this. Every one of you in this audience, the only advice I would give you is you've got to become stronger than you are now. And I don't mean go to the gym. I mean, as an individual, as families, you have got to strengthen yourself. You've got to grow closer to your God. You've got to strengthen your family unit. You've got to be more bold. You've got to steal yourself. Or you will be blown away. You'll be swept away by the winds that are blowing through our society. This is not the time for summer soldiers and sunshine patriots. Um, so I think he's right. I don't think you have to be a prophet to realize that's that's what's going on. No, absolutely. I mean, this is um, it's a it's a terribly troubling situation and. We're experiencing, I think, the um, the point of the spear in Israel now with this civilizational war that uh, it will come to America. <laughs> I mean, if it if it isn't there already, it will come to America. These these jihadist sympathizers, these Hamas supporters, who closed down JFK and LAX and I guess O'Hare. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's funny. But my my initial thought was I hope tens of thousands are inconvenienced because I can't think of a better, quicker, and more certain way to uh, uh, turn the American people off than to, as you indicated at the top of this broadcast, interrupt Christmas, attempt to destroy Christmas, to subvert it. Um, And these people that are causing far more damage than was caused on January 6th, they'll be home tonight. They're not going to be uh, in solitary confinement for 24 months. They're not going to have federal statute books thrown at them, their lives destroyed. They'll get a slap on the wrist, be sent home, and be paid to come out and, and, and demonstrate and disrupt uh, uh, tomorrow. You, you know, Tom, uh, the, every time that uh, the FBI testifies before Congress, uh, you know, they're talking about just, you know, how overwhelmed they are. They've, you know, they're they're opening new investigations almost every day, uh, involving communist China, uh, spying and espionage and other activities in the United States. They've got uh, all of the fallout of what happened uh, is happening right now with Israel and uh, and Hamas. Uh, you know, just one thing after another, and yet, Tom, they are still devoting resources trying to track down people that were involved in uh, January 6th. They just arrested a woman in Florida. This is going on three years since the event. And they made a new arrest in Florida in recent days. A week or so ago, uh, a, uh, a an African-American, a black American a guy who um, he, he has acted in a couple of films, Christian films, uh, was here on um, January 6th, and um, he entered the Capitol. Um, he says he was waved in, which we now have video of. That was happening at a number of times at a number of the doors where Capitol Hill. There's no question about that. Nobody's ever satisfactorily answered it. Capitol Hill police at those doors are seen on video going, like this. Come on in. Come on in. People walked in. He was in the Capitol for 45 seconds. He was on his cell phone because he was covering the event for a documentary about what happened on January, you know, the great event on January 6th. He's been charged with four misdemeanors. His home has been raided twice over these years. They have not made a direct arrest yet until about two weeks ago when he lands in Los Angeles at the airport 
and there's a half dozen FBI agents making a public arrest of him at the airport in front of his wife and children for four misdemeanors and 45 seconds inside the Capitol. This is outrageous. This is unacceptable. And I have no doubt that the purpose here, in addition to the iron fist on anybody that dares stand in the way, one of the main purposes is to intimidate. They don't want anybody on the right to think, well, we can demonstrate when we're upset. That's what the left does. They want to take that off the plate. They want to repeal the right of assembly as something that conservatives have in our arsenal of constitutional rights. And we wonder when this Daily Mail uh, YouGov poll comes out saying that one in five Americans has a positive view of Osama bin Laden. Uh, That has to be the most depressing, distressing, um, uh, enervating poll I've seen since the one that showed that the majority of Americans between 18 and 24 want Hamas to uh, destroy Israel. One in five, 20% of uh, uh, Americans have a positive view of Osama bin Laden, the greatest murderer of Americans, um, perhaps in history. Uh, I, I saw that this morning, Tom, and I, I, I thought to myself, that can't That's be. what I was thinking. I mean, did, you, did some of them, you know, did you, I mean, in spite of what the common perception is, dumbness is a a big voting block in the Democrat Party. I mean, they've got a bunch of people voting that couldn't tell you what the capital of the United States is. I mean, seriously, in some of these places where the public schools are complete failures and they just round up people off the streets, give them some walking around money, you know, take them in there, get them to vote or whatever. Could, Could some of these folks think they were being asked their opinion about Barack Hussein Obama? Because you remember how people got the names mixed up? Right. That's right. I, I'm hoping that's uh, what it is. Well, I, you know? I, I, I mean, the, the results shift dramatically when you look at age cohorts. 20% of those between 18 and 25 have a positive view of bin Laden. Of those, 8% have a completely positive view of bin Laden compared to 52% who have at least a somewhat positive view. 17% of those between 18 and 29 have a mix of positive and negative feelings about this, this terrorist murder. And 11%, of yep. course, had, have, 11% have never heard of him. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> you, you, the, uh, apparently that pastor from Chicago that the, the, the Obamas uh, attended church at regularly, he's an anti-Semite. What was that guy's name? Jeremiah Wright. Right. Jeremiah Wright. Uh, Apparently, Jeremiah Wright has won because, you know, Jeremiah Wright infamously on the Sunday after 9-11 gave a sermon in which he said, God bless America. No, God, America, the chickens have come home to roost. So he was praising what Osama bin Laden Uh, did to us on that day. Um, Now, how in the world does this fit with the significant block of Democrats who for years, they don't poll it anymore, but I believe it was as much as 40% of Democrats that would tell pollsters they thought George W. Bush was behind 9-11. Right. So I bet this poll that just came out saying, you know, I kind of like Osama bin Laden. Some of them, he probably got more praise among self-identified Democrats than than George Bush got. If you would ask him today what they thought of George Bush, uh, I, I want to switch to politics just for a minute. Iowa, the Iowa caucus is coming up week after next. Um, Nikki Haley campaigning pretty aggressively in New Hampshire, less so in Iowa. Why it, the notion that she catches fire? She goes from seven percent to nine percent. She now. Trails Donald Trump not by um, not by forty one points, but by thirty seven points. Um, and this is you know this is the big Nikki Boomlet. What happened uh, yesterday or uh, Wednesday when she was? Um, I think she was in New Hampshire and and um, refusing to say that slavery had anything to do with the Civil War. What, what what she's it's it appears as though she's unraveling, which is fine with me. That 
Well, boy, I'll tell you, Tom, the whole the whole donor wing of the Republican Party is all in for her. The Koch brothers now, or the Koch brother, the one that's still alive, right. announced that, that they're going in for Nikki. Uh, the, you know, Americans for Prosperity. Um, said some one of their critics the other day said, you know, their real name is Americans for Prosperity in Communist China. <laughs> because, you know, the, the group is all in on open, uh, you know, world trade and all the rest of it. Um, I, I, I don't know what what explains the brain freeze. I I think, you know, when you're on the campaign trail, you expect all the normal questions. Sometimes you get surprised with questions like, okay, when you say you're a candidate of the common guy, uh, what's a dozen eggs cost? My, my, uh, my campaign staff reminded me that I needed to know what the prices were of, um, of all groceries or I would be made a fool because I was you know, bragging about the fact that I was running for the Republican nomination and I was Spike Bauer, the janitor's son. And what a country America is where Spike Bauer, the janitor's son, uh, could compete for the Republican presidential nomination. I don't you know, it may have just been uh, you don't expect that kind of a question. What were what the causes of the, the Civil War? War? But even if you weren't expecting it, you you should be able to say, well, there was this little dispute over whether one man could own another man. Or as Lincoln put it, is one man born with a saddle on his back and another man born with spurs to ride him? She could have given a great answer. Uh, but it, it, no, she, she said it's very it's very complicated. There's not there's, right. There's no there's not one simple answer to the question. It's a very complicated question. You're right. These candidates and I've been on several campaigns. These candidates give six, seven, eight speeches a day it's all a fog it's all a blur that they don't screw up more often is what's remarkable to me but this was uh this was a, a a telling moment when she get when when a someone's running for office someone's running for a serious leadership position and they get frazzled by donald trump would never get frazzled by a question like that he'd immediately no. have, of course i mean he because he's genuine he's authentic Right. And if there's a question he didn't understand, he'd say, I don't understand the question. Give it to me again. He, he, he wouldn't allow himself to fall into that trap of being so scripted and so uh, contrived and so uh, manufactured into a figure that bears no resemblance to the real person under the under the suit or in this case, under the dress. Um, it, it just these are revealing moments. You ran that you did this gauntlet. It. These are excellent opportunities for folks to see the real nature of the people that are seeking the highest office. These are grueling. You, you know, Tom, she she could have hit it out of the ballpark. I mean, one of the things she could have said, I'm really glad you asked me that because, you know, the Civil War era was the birth of the Republican Party. That's My right. party stood for the concept that. All men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that includes all black men and women. But not only that, there are other parallels, too. You know, in the Civil War, there was an effort to keep the first Republican presidential nominee off the ballot. In 10 by states. Democrats. By 10 states. Yes. I, yeah. They've the same thing they're trying to do to my competitor right now. So, uh, you know, you know, we can learn a lot by studying this. I mean, there's, it just was endless, endless answers. Part. You know, there are a lot of similarities between that era and this. We have people now in in positions of power at great institutions elected and otherwise that are, argue that we need a multicultural society as opposed to a multi-ethnic one. We had a multicultural society before the Civil War. We had half the country thinking it was perfectly acceptable for one man to own another, and another half that believed an entirely different set of values. And look what it got us. It got us a civil war. We don't need multiculturalism. We need an American culture that everybody buys into, and there's plenty of room under their vine and fig tree to worship as they wish, to believe as they wish, to tolerate others. But when we have a country that, that puts as a principle, if you're a black woman, 
you can plagiarize your way to the presidency of Harvard, whereas a freshman in an intro to writing class at Harvard who misappropriates a phrase is expelled and his life is destroyed. That's multiculturalism. It doesn't work. The system can't stand it. The people won't tolerate it. You, you know, Tom, uh, uh, that's a, that I hadn't really heard it put that way. It's a good point that we have a, a huge cultural moral divide in the country that led to the Civil War. Uh, but, you know, one thing we still had in common, uh, as Lincoln pointed out a couple of times, because it was puzzling and I think also humbling to him, both sides still, in spite of this big difference, prayed to the same God. And both sides prayed that he would grant them victory. And and Lincoln pointed out in his second inaugural, one side would definitely be disappointed <laughs> in the outcome. And one side would feel that God had blessed them. Uh, so even then, over this fundamental matter of, uh, of a man being treated like he's a horse, uh, we still had that to bring us together. And it helped the process of reconciliation. We've thrown that out the window. I, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, Tom, but uh, uh, Speaker uh, Johnson uh, was attacked. He and his family were attacked over the over the weekend uh, by uh, ABC and a, and a couple of papers in London, of all places, because it came out that some sometime in the past, uh, Speaker Johnson took his uh, teenage daughter to an event that's very popular in some Christian circles where the girl, the young lady, pledges to her parents and to God that she will do everything she can to remain virtuous until marriage. How dare she? And the, the father pledges with his wife, her mother, to do everything they can to support her in that. And this was described by ABC and these newspapers as cultish, cultish, something. What? What? James they Carville compared this him, girl. James Carville compared him to a Taliban terrorist. Right. Yeah. Religion, yeah, I, religious I mean, uh, fanatics, fanatics. We've, what happened? By the way, folks. Those of you who have fallen for that live and let live thing, you know, this has been thrown in our face for the last 30 years. Well, who are you to say who I can marry? You, I'm not trying to bother your marriage. Live and let live. I'll do what I want to do over here. You can do what you want to do. No, 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 no. It is clear. They weren't saying that Speaker Johnson was going to try to make Every family take their daughter to some event where the daughter pledges to be chaste. They were attacking him because he took his own daughter to do that right. as part of his Christian value system. These are these are intolerant, authoritarian, proto fascists. That's what they are. And unfortunately, we're out of time. But yes, this being you mean America or us. Well, <laughs> that's not funny. That's not funny, Valver, but be, I know. Be the, why, be, why are we laughing? Exactly. Being that this is the last show of 2023, I want to wish you and yours and everybody out there in Bauer and Roseland a, a peaceful, healthy, safe, meaningful, and uh, positive uh, new year in 2024. Um, prosperity, good health, all good things, no bad things. How's that for a New Year's wish? What Tom said. What Tom just said. I, <laughs> I agree completely. And uh, so uh, hug your families. Uh, praise your God. Um, love your country. And buckle up, folks, because this next 12 months is going to be one heck of a ride. Wow. Well said. Thank you. And have a terrific New Year. Happy New Year. God bless everybody. Everybody.